Hello, fellow Kentuckians and other friends, and welcome to a new edition of my old Kentucky podcast. My name is Robert Connie, and joining me, as always, is Jasmine Smith. Jasmine, how are you today? I'm doing well, Robert. How are you? Whew, man, I'm making it. It's been a month. <laughs> it's been a month with a uh, you know with Omicron and uh, family family stuff with uh, people in my family catching it and and trying to hide out from it and stuff. I'm I'm actually recording from my sister's bedroom uh, at my parents' house, so <laughs> that's that's why it's a little funky. Um, anyways, we got a lot of stuff to talk about. We have Katura Heron on the show. She is our guest during the show. She is running for two things simultaneously. She's running in a special election uh, because. Representative Reginald Meeks resigned uh, earlier this session, so she is running to take his place in a special election in District 42 as it was constituted before the session started, and she is also a candidate for District 42 as it is newly constructed um, and under the new maps that were passed by the General Assembly. So she's running for both of these things. Um, she's actually uncontested in the general election, but she does have a contested election coming up here on February the 22nd. If you live in District 42, you can go to the Secretary of State's website or I think the Louisville County Clerk's website to figure out where you need to vote. You can also vote up to two days early. So if you live in District 42, please check that out. Please make sure you go vote. It's a special election. It's going to be low turnout. They always are. So make sure your voice gets heard. That's very important. So we talked to her about you know why she's running, what she wants to do. Um, I you know Katura is great. We had her on once before. Jasmine, you know her a little a little bit better than I do. Uh, I really like her. I, I know that you do too. Yeah, definitely. It was very interesting to hear about running in two different races at once, where no one knows what district they're in and like what when they can vote for her so yeah that that would be a weird position to be in. yeah absolutely absolutely it's very strange a very strange situation that she finds herself in uh listen to her talk about it uh later on in the show but we have a couple of things we want to talk about before the interview so jasmine are actually going to hone in on separate uh bills um that are making their way through the legislature i'm talking a little bit about a bill that would be a companion bill to a special uh, to a constitutional amendment uh, regarding how the legislature calls itself into session. Jasmine's going to talk to us about a porch pirate bill, which is a pretty disappointing bill coming um, from some members of uh, the Louisville Democratic Party in the state Senate. So she's going to be talking a little bit about that. And uh, we have a couple of other things we want to talk about as well. There's a couple of quick hits that we're going to get to, and we're going to have a COVID update. So without any further ado, Jasmine, why don't you start by talking to us about porch pirates? All right, so last week, a mail theft bill um, known as the Porch Pirate Bill advanced out of a Senate committee that would make any mail theft from a common carrier or delivery service a felony. Theft of USPS mail is already a felony. There's a theft of mail matter statute. And so basically what this bill would do would make Amazon or any other private deliveries of felony as well and to me the way this bill reads it seems like it would apply to any private delivery so i don't know if that means it could apply to the DoorDash that gets dropped off on your porch um but it, it seems really broad any common carrier or delivery service so this bill would mean one to five years in prison um for potentially someone's like McDonald's delivery or their new phone charger cable from Amazon. The reason this is different um, from other types of thefts is that other types of thefts all have a threshold. So it used to be a long time ago, it used to be $300 and then it was increased to $500. And then last session it was increased to a thousand dollars. And so um, a theft by unlawful taking under $1,000 is a misdemeanor. Um, and now, unless you steal someone's like Amazon or DoorDash, <laughs> that's not the case. And so the bill's chief sponsor, David Yates, he talked about the problem of people doing this over and over and over in people's neighborhoods and getting prosecuted for misdemeanor offenses. Um, but there's actually already protection for that in the felony threshold bill that passed last year. Misdemeanor thefts can be aggregated if you have three and five years. So there isn't really the loophole that he's talking about. And if someone continues to commit misdemeanors, if you commit three and five years, it's going to be a felony. And also, if you continue to commit misdemeanors, you eventually go to jail. You know, you don't just get probation time um, for continuing thefts like that. 
obviously, I don't like this bill. I don't think we should be creating new felonies just for consistency's sake. Even if porch thefts are a problem, porch thefts are already a crime. It's theft by unlawful taking, and the level of the crime depends on the value of the item. And so I don't think we have any loopholes to close. Um, so I think it's a bad bill. I, I very much agree with you. Um, I think the first time we mentioned it, I, I brought up Harvey Milk, who is, uh, you know, he's a very famous person. He's like one of the first uh, elected gay people in America. But he was able to stay very popular because he passed this bill about like people cleaning up after their dogs. And he has this like really famous quote. That's like, you know, you, you just got to find the thing that people are really upset about and like solve that problem. And he's like, and that will, that that's what keeps you successful. And so, I mean, porch pirate, porch piracy, I guess if that's what we're going to call it is a big issue. It's something that a lot of people are upset about and being able to say that you did something about it is definitely something mm-hmm. that's going to go a long way. It's just that this bill goes really really far it's a felony that could cause one to five years in prison which is is just astronomical because you mentioned like you mentioned the way that it's written it could apply to like mcdonald's or you know a starbucks latte or something like that if that gets stolen off your your porch it could be uh five years in prison uh which is is just seems like it seems like um i don't necessarily think that having a new law about porch piracy is a bad idea i think having a new felony that is uh, one to five years in prison for that is is way way too much. That's but that's you know that's just my uh, yeah opinion. something something I was thinking about today. You know how do we maybe curb some of this or or make people less angry about it? And I don't know maybe if there was some kind of like amnesty for it because you know I think a lot of this is people. I mean, it's definitely like a desperation thing. Um, people who need money grabbing boxes and seeing what they get, seeing if they can sell it, you know, things like that. And th- they probably end up with a lot of like worthless stuff or things that are worthless to them. And so maybe if there was some kind of amnesty program or something like that, maybe that is something that can be helpful. Um, but just incarcerating more people for long periods of time, I don't think is going to have any effect on the problem yeah i mean i don't know that that seems like it might work but i also could see a world in which it didn't i think the main thing is we just got to spend some more time thinking about this problem like you know how do we solve it we aren't going to be able you know just we're 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 throwing this at the wall and it's going to really ruin some people's lives if if the bill passes and is enforced as it's written um and and maybe if we just slowed down a little bit um and talked about other solutions talked about you know uh, uh, do a town hall like get people together talk about it figure out what the potential solution could be uh, and then you maybe find out something that's a little bit more equitable something that's a little better of a solution it, it's also just really disappointing because like kentucky democrats don't get a lot of chances to actually get their bills passed and it's very clear that the republicans were willing to play ball on this porch pirate issue um mm-hmm. and uh you know you're you're saving like one of your chances um for something that that is actually kind of bad so um that that's also a little disappointing yeah and so the last couple of things I was going to mention is that, yes, it's a Democratic-sponsored bill, which we never get those heard. Um, it was sponsored by David Yates, who is a former Metro Council president, and then the co-sponsor was Denise Harper Angel. And it's also worth noting that it's a Louisville Democrat who sponsored the bill when we've had six people die in our overcrowded jail in a couple of months. Um, and so I think that is another frustrating for me, that we're creating new felonies um, when that is a crisis that's going on in our city. But um, it passed the Senate today unanimously after some hazing from the Republicans when they all acted like they were going to vote no. Um, But I guess that's what they do for fun (laughs) for someone's first bill. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, and, and you know, I, I kind of get it. You also, you put uh, all the other Democrats in a, a rough position here because of the way you've constructed the porch pirate bill. Like, that's a pretty powerful 
you know, tool for a Republican running against a Democrat. Like they supported porch pirates. Like, you know, that's a tough one uh, to put, to put your colleagues in for. I mean, I'm sure that there's definitely some of the members of uh, the, the Kentucky legislature on the democratic side who understand the issues with this bill. Um, but also understand the, the really potent political argument or political, you know, slogans that could come out of, out of something like this. So, so yeah, yeah. just doubly disappointing. And on an unrelated note, I wanted to note that a, a good criminal reform bill did pass the Senate today as well. Senate Bill 33 allows enhanceable offenses to be expunged after five years or after the enhancement period expires. So this was a bill where there was actually a loophole in the expungement law that left some people unable to get expungements because they were charged with an offense that could... Um, become more serious if they picked up a subsequent offense and with no time limit. And so it's like if their offense had a provision in the law that increased the penalties for a subsequent offense, but it didn't have, you know, a subsequent offense within three years or something like that, they just couldn't get it expunged because there was no limit on when that time period would pass. And so they were kind of excluded from the statute. And so this fixes that and allows those people to have access to expunge their charges once those like enhancement periods have passed. Yeah, that's really good. I'm glad to hear that because, you know, it, it, sometimes you kind of feel like whenever you get these good criminal uh, justice things passed that it's like you tricked somebody into doing something because they're so uh, the, the legislature is often so against some of these things. But it is like a good sign that on some of these things, they're actually willing to revisit it and actually go back and fix some of these problems or these loopholes or people who are excluded unnecessarily from what the original intent of the, the legislation was. So that that's good to hear. Um, so yeah, um, and also I appreciate Jasmine you mixing in some good with the bad. So so that's good. That's good. <laughs> All right. Um, I'm going to talk very shortly about the future of special sessions. So last year the legislature made several changes to state law, which would allocate more power to the legislative branch away from the executive branch. That was like a huge theme. I mean, Jasmine, you could probably name like three or four of these bills off the top of your head, but you know, they, they're all out there. They, they, you know, strip the governor's ability to uh, declare a state of emergency um, or to like maintain a state of emergency. It has to be like for a shorter period of time. Um, they tried to move, you know, the fair board and under the, the agriculture department, there's a lot of stuff that went on um, moving things away from uh, from the governor and one of the things that the legislature tried to do was uh, was house bill four from last year and that bill allowed the legislature to call itself back into session so currently the only way that the legislature can meet after they adjourn signy die uh, is if the governor calls them into a special session and, and this would allow like the way that the constitutional amendment is is construed it allowed for the legislature to essentially call itself back into session through a joint proclamation of the house speaker and the senate president so hb4 is actually a constitutional amendment it won't actually become law unless it passes um through the ballot on on november so keep that in mind tell your friends if you don't want the legislature to meet more that they shouldn't vote for that um when it when it's on the ballot this fall so, okay, House Bill 4 from last year now has a companion bill making its way through the legislature this year, and that bill is Senate Bill 88. And that bill is sponsored by David Givens, and he's a senator, uh, and that, that sets the rules kind of for pay and for the use of days by the legislature during sessions uh, that the legislature calls itself into. So, you know, obviously, if you're going to change the law, uh, the special session law requires the governor to, like, say what the session is for to call the legislature into session and then you know they can go as long as they want to but it has all legislation has to be about that specific topic senate bill 88 what it does is it basically just sets the amount of time that the legislature can call itself back into session for so it can call itself in addition to the days that are normal uh, 30 days during a short session and 60 days during a long session this senate bill 88 allows the legislature to use 12 more days over three weeks 
plus one additional day after the session is over for veto days. So it's not really a special session. The legislature can't necessarily call itself into special session. The way that I'm thinking about this is it's more of like an extension of the session as it existed. And one of the reasons I think about it this way is because the bill also allows for any bills that are filed during the regular session that would happen in the winter and spring um, to, to carry over into a session, uh, a recalled session that the the House and Senate calls itself back into. So, you know, Jasmine, if if somebody were to sponsor like House Bill 150 or whatever, and, you know, it got two readings or, you know, there's a lot of bills that like kind of died on the last day. You, you, we talk mm-hmm. about this every year, right? When it's like, oh, this one didn't quite make it. They didn't quite get there. All of those bills retain all their readings, retain all their information. So now, you know, they can call themselves back into session a month later and in addition to doing whatever business they had to get done, they can also pass that bill and they can use the committee hearings and everything um, that, that it needs to have to pass. Um, they can count those towards passing it um, in, in that later session as long as it's during the same year. So, yeah, signy die now means something totally different. It no longer means like it's over. Now it just means pause <laughs> until they're going to call themselves um, for those 12 new days. And the bill also does some stuff to clarify the pay for legislators during this, th- these like extended sessions that would be basically the same as the pay during a regular session of the General Assembly. So, you know, Senate Bill 88, I, I feel like it actually does a little bit to blunt the power of the legislature more than HB4. HB4 is actually pretty broad, basically just saying like, the, the legislature can call itself back into session, period, um, and, and they can do it whenever they want to, which was pretty troubling. Senate Bill 88 does put some limits on it, um, and, and it does, you know, say only 12 days. Um, it's safe to, I think, I think it's basically safe to assume that all, um, if, if all of this passes, if Senate Bill 88 passes and the constitutional amendment passes, um, you know, we're basically going to be talking about 12 more legislative days every year. So instead of a 30-day legislative session, every year it will be a 42-day legislative session with 30 days that are happening in the winter and spring um, and 12 more days at random times throughout the year. And the same for a 60-day session, except for that it would, you know, they would just kind of happen whenever they happen. So um, that is Senate Bill 88 and the future of special sessions. That's kind of where we're at with that. All right, Jasmine, talk to us about Brett Hankison. All right, so Brett Hankison, one of the officers responsible for the death of Breonna Taylor, um, his trial is scheduled to start this week. And just a reminder, we haven't talked about it in a little while. He has only been indicted for wanton endangerment in the first degree um, for shots that endangered Breonna Taylor's neighbors. He faces three counts. So that's a class D felony and each count carries one to five years. Um, But those could be, if he's convicted, they could be run concurrently or consecutively if he's convicted of all of them. Jasmine, can I hit a pause button here? Class D felony? Um, that Brett Hankinson faces uh, in the killing of Breonna Taylor, that would be the same class of felony that a porch pirate would face if that bill passed, right? Correct. Okay, okay. Just want to make sure. Yes. So the jury panel will start with 250 people, which is a lot for a Class D felony trial, um, but not surprising considering the amount of media coverage in this case. And they will do individual voir dire. Um, So that's like individual jury selection. And so um, they'll do that first before they narrow their panel down to 50 people. Defense counsel filed a motion to prohibit the media from being present for individual voir dire. And that was denied. However... They, the media will not be allowed to bring cameras in during that portion as that would be like intimidating to jurors and could affect their candor and, you know, how forthcoming they are in answering the judges or the attorney's questions, which um, I think that is probably a, a fair compromise. Yeah. So jury selection was supposed to begin yesterday, um, February 1st, but it was continued due to an unexpected minor surgery that Hankison had to have. Um, Judge Ann Bailey Smith hoped that jury selection could begin Thursday, um, but there's supposed to be an ice storm. um, So that could be delayed again. So we might not get started this week. 
Individual voir dire uh, is something that will probably take a few weeks. And so we won't even have the jury panel narrowed down until the original schedule said they hope to have it done by February 22nd. It's also the same day as Couture Heron's special election and my husband's birthday. Um, but that was that was just like the hopeful day. I would guess it would probably potentially be later than that with delays. Um, then the parties will begin proof in the case. And so um, we probably won't have a verdict in this case for a while. We might not even be talking about it for a little while while we're while they're going through the individual voir dire process. Um, but just a a little bit of prep for that trial that's going to be happening in the coming weeks. Yeah, that's a. It- amazing how many ways that this thing keeps continuing to get delayed um you know there you go Um, yeah and and i will note like individual voir dire is something that doesn't it happens in capital cases but doesn't happen very often and i've seen defense counsel ask for it in murder cases that have gotten media attention and had it denied um but it's happening in this class d felony trial um so that's that's something else that i'll know All right, <laughs> about like, it too is individual voir dire where they like talk to each individual person like and see yes. if they want to strike them all right i just assume that happened in every case that doesn't happen in every trial the, the, the movies make it seem that way no it probably depends on the jurisdiction but here it usually only it happens in like very high profile cases and capital cases and i mean the reason they have to do it is because of the media attention and if they ask people what they know about it and someone in the group says what they know about it then they've like kind of tainted the rest of the panel and so makes sense that's why they do it. it makes sense why they do it but yeah you know that that's a motion that defense counsel files in cases and is often denied um i'd ask for it too yeah, though yeah, <laughs> you know yeah, yeah i mean you have to it's just yeah all right well anyways let's go to talk about covid so whew, as of this weekend cases of covid in kentucky are clearly in decline um however they're still extremely high significantly higher than at any point in the pandemic besides when omicron was on the rise so you know the decline is being led by our urban counties which had case numbers uh, you know close to 300 cases per 100,000 population just a few weeks ago. Now Jefferson and Fayette are hovering close to 150 cases per 100,000 population and Kitten County has actually slipped below 100 cases per 100,000 population. So we're moving in the right direction but we're still extremely high. That is higher than than Louisville Lexington ever were before Omicron. Louisville has been in clear decline for about three weeks. Jefferson County had 12,000 cases last week, which is um, the third week of decreases. But, you know, it really only took Louisville two weeks to go from 3,000 cases to 16,000 cases. And we're, you know, three weeks into our decline, and we were at 16,000, and we're only down to 12,000. So it looks like the, the downside is, is happening pretty quickly, but it's going to take a lot longer than the upswing. Lexington is also in significant decline with its per 100,000 population number. It's it's about 20% off its high, so it's coming it's come down 20%. There are a substantial number of counties uh, outside of our urban areas with very high case rates, but but they're kind of spread throughout the state. There aren't like a cluster of like seven or eight counties where everybody's really high. The clusters are pretty small, like Boyle and Mercer, which border each other. They're both above 300, and then. Clay, Knox, and Whitley, which are all together there in kind of like um, South Central, Southeast Kentucky, they are also all three above 300 cases per 100,000. So, you know, those are about the size of our clusters, and there's several throughout the state. It seems like Omicron is very widespread now um, and, and is definitely like hitting everywhere that we have. And it's still the, the truth that we were talking about last week where some areas it's still going up, and I do, do kind of feel like it's, it's starting to hit the peak in some rural areas, but there's still some rural areas that it, it hasn't hit that peak yet um, and it probably will uh, soon but but some other places it's still rising whereas in our urban areas it's certainly falling deaths remain at about the same level as before omicron started it's definitely still possible for the amount of deaths to spike in the near future but as of right now it seems like omicron is not causing any more deaths than what we were seeing during delta's decline so you know um that's pretty good news i guess It appears as though Kentucky's overall hospitalizations have crested and will start to decline soon. Hospitalizations did reach an all-time high during Omicron, above where we we saw them during Delta, but it was a high that was very close to the Delta surge. 
And ICU usage, which also has potentially crested, is at a rate significantly lower than the Delta high. And it's only slightly higher than the rate of ICU usage seen during the winter surge last year or early 2021 during the original COVID outbreak. So, you know, we talked at the beginning of Omicron that we were going to watch hospitalizations. I think we can pretty clearly say that Omicron definitely put more people in the hospital than any other type of COVID that we've ever seen, original or Delta. But it didn't, it doesn't appear to have killed nearly as many people, and it didn't send nearly as many people to the ICU as Delta. So, so that's, that's what it is. That is what it is. It's good or bad, depending on your perspective. We had a very bad week for vaccinations. Um, We are down to about 1,700 people getting vaccinated in Kentucky every seven days, which is the lowest number since vaccines became widely available. We are at about 64.6% of Kentuckians with at least one shot of vaccine. That's a rise of only 0.2% since last week. We are seeing more people get boosted, but not nearly enough. 23.1% of Kentuckians now have a booster shot, and that's only a rise of about one half of a percent of the population from last week. So definitely not a great week for vaccines. I, you know, I don't know why we're losing so much steam. I would have figured that more than 23% of people would have been able to get a booster by now. I would have thought that more than a quarter of the population of Kentucky was interested in getting a booster by now. But that's where we're at. Uh, and, and that's an unfortunate truth. If you haven't gotten your booster, get your booster. Please do that. That's very important. Um, Okay, so Jasmine, the worst of Omicron certainly seems like it's behind us for a state, but but it's still really bad out there, and thousands of people are about to get COVID in the next few weeks here in Kentucky. The disease doesn't pose the same threat to vaccinated people as it did during the early days of the pandemic, but it's still really no fun to be sick with COVID, and, and getting the disease can be extremely disruptive. Yeah, it, it's definitely, there's been some stuff in my family this week, um, you know, having to hide out from it at my parents' house with my daughter. And, uh, you know, they're, 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 I've had a lot of family members that have just come down with the disease and some of them have, none of them have gone to the hospital and I've never been in fear for any of their lives, but it's been very, very unfun for all of them. Um, and we've had to deal with, you know, getting childcare for people. We've had to deal with, um, having to, to take care of people when they are sick and isolate from them. Um, it, it's a big hassle and it's a big pain in the neck and it's no fun. Uh, so, you know, even though th- this type of COVID, uh, we're not worried about people dying, which, you know, last year and in 2020, there were moments when all of this uncomfortableness and all of this, uh, you know, just uh, annoying logistical stuff was going on. And in addition, you were worried that your person would die. We don't have to deal with, or at least I'm not having to deal with that right now, but all of the rest of that certainly is still there. Um, so for all the thousands of people that are about to go through this, uh, best best of luck to you and, and yours. Jasmine, do you have any, any COVID stuff that's happened to you in the past week or so? Not me, but aside from... Seeing it hit your family, I have another close friend who had avoided it all this time, and then their one-year-old got it, and now the whole family has it. And yeah, the, yeah I I feel for the like the daycare age people with daycare age children. Yeah, yeah, it's tough. <laughs> that, I mean, you can't really a- avoid it. No, I mean, Probably. kids under two can't wear a mask, can't get vaccinated, and you know this thing's super contagious. It's just kind of how it goes. So, oof, yeah. All right. Um, We do have two quick hits I wanted to talk about before we get out of here. Um, The first one, Mason Dixon released a poll showing that Andy Bashir had a 60% approval rating, which um, was higher. Actually, they did this poll at the same time last year. uh, And he actually is polling higher than he did last year. That surprised a lot of people. Jasmine, what did you think when you saw this? I I think if this had happened... Maybe this time last year it would have been lower, but this is kind of after the good news about like the economic development in Hardin County and everything. And so I don't know. I, I guess it's not too surprising, but it's it's kind of a relief yeah. to hear. Yeah, I, I wasn't too surprised. I think a lot of people assume that just because Andy Bashir is, I think a lot of Democrats that I know, especially Democrats in like urban areas, they just assume that outside of urban areas, everybody just hates Andy Bashir, and and that's just not the case. I just think people are, are a little bit more nuanced than that. They they see 
the job that he's doing and you know think that he's done a good job because he has i mean that's the thing there are a lot of really like really legitimately very good economic development and initiatives that have happened under his administration i think a lot of people approve of the work he's done in covid even if they don't necessarily agree with everything um i think you know the fact that a lot of that got taken away from him um blunted some frustrations that they might have had if they had continued through like a couple of years i think that that's something to be there's something to be said for that um but no i i think andy Bashir deserves um uh you know people's approval and i think that it is absolutely real that he has it so not surprising to me i'm glad to hear jasmine that you weren't surprised at all um but yes definitely a relief <laughs> so we'll see what happens in the next couple of years as a gubernatorial re-election campaign ramps up okay jasmine the last one for quick hits is that the fec reports were released this week and and charles booker um i would say he disappointed a bit this quarter so Rand paul hauled in like four million dollars and charles booker only managed to raise about 1.7 million and actually his expenses this quarter were higher than his receipts Rand paul said that he has seven million dollars on hand to spend and Charles Booker did not say what his cash on hand was. So, Jasmine, what are your um, impressions of, of that news after hearing it? Uh, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I guess that's I guess that's not surprising either, but I don't know. He's got it. I mean, th- we knew that would be a tough race. Yeah, it is a tough and- race. I-, I think in 2020... Um, there were a lot of well-off Democrats in lots of places across the country that were willing to donate to red state Democrats as they tried to take on some of their least favorite senators. Um, and Mitch McConnell is, of course, very high on the list of people that uh, people don't like. And Rand Paul is also very high on the list of senators that Democrats in places like you know New York or California or Oregon or whatever don't like as well. And I think the thing is, um, a lot of those people who were donating to candidates in 2020 kind of have come to the conclusion that a lot of that was wasted money. Um, mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's going to be it's harder. I think it's harder for Senate candidates in 2022 to raise that money from from out of state. So Charles Booker obviously is going to have a harder time. It's still like one point seven million dollars and it is going to be a tough race. Um, and it's tough. It's usually tough to raise money in this race. Um but, you know, that was one of the things about Amy McGrath. She was always, like, really good at that, and you never really had to worry about it. And it's really hard to do that work. Uh, but, yeah, Charles Booker definitely has a lot of work cut out for him in the fundraising uh, portion of the work he wants to do. Um, and we'll see if he's able to close that gap any in future quarters. So, yeah, that's that's probably all there is to say about that. Um, all right, let's get to our interview with Katura Heron. Katura Heron is the Democratic candidate in the upcoming special election for Old District 42 and a Democratic candidate for the new District 42 during the regular election later this year. Ms. Heron has been a policy strategist for the ACLU, and she was on our show back in 2020 to talk about advocating for racial justice in Frankfurt and in Louisville. So Katura Heron, welcome back to my Old Kentucky podcast. Thank you for having me back. It's a pleasure. Yeah, we're really excited to have you. So thank you again for coming. Um, and, and yeah, the last time you were on the show, you talked about advocating in Frankfurt and, and building relationships with legislators. And now you're running to join the legislature. So tell us kind of like why you wanted to take this step and what you think you can accomplish as a member of the legislature that you couldn't do uh, while you were an advocate. Yeah, it has been a, a crazy uh, a road uh, to, to, to get to this point. And um, in 2020, during um, the the murder of Breonna Taylor and and, and the fight for justice, uh, during that time, I had a lot of different folks asking me to run for office. I had young people asking me. I had current elected officials, business leaders, um, and just family, other people that I uh, highly respect. And you know, when when people start asking you to run for office, I think that um, you know you have to pay attention to that. And um, I had publicly told folks that if and when Representative Meeks decided to uh, resign, that I would consider a running. I had no idea that it was going to be this soon. I was not planning on that to happen for uh, 2022. Um, And and this is where we are. And I think that uh, the work that I've done um, as a lobbyist and a policy strategist 
uh, sets me up for success. And I think the biggest thing is just to continue to build um, relationships um, and, and to get um, both sides of the aisle to, to have better communication. And so I think that that's where um, I will be able to, to step in immediately um, and, and help and get some things done. No, yeah, that's a great answer. And, and it, that's got to be really humbling to have people ask you to, to do that. And I mean, I as somebody who watched from afar, I, I, I heard those voices. And, you know, I, I thought, thought you'd be a good fit as well. So I'm glad that you're doing this. Um, but you, you mentioned, you know, Representative Reginald Meats, and, and he'd served in this seat uh, for, for many years. And, and before that, he'd served as an alderman in the city of Louisville. You know, he's a person who served Louisville and served the people in, in that area, uh, in the area that is District 42. I think he served in it uh, a couple times when it was redistricted before, too. So uh, lots of areas in Louisville that he's represented for a long time. And in many ways, I, I feel like, you know, you represent a generational change from Representative Meeks. So, you know, tell us what that means. How is your approach to legislating going to be different to what District 42 is used to, and how might it be similar? Yeah, first off, you know, I, I want to thank our Representative Meeks for all of his um, hard work and years of service uh, that he has put in, and uh, himself and Eleanor Jordan. Um, the, they are two people that um, I have looked up to um, and aspire uh, to be like, and I think that uh, you know, with this, with, with the new generation, um, if that's the way we want, want to put it, is that um, I think that we are seeing that there is a change that needs to happen and happen in a different type of way. And so what I look forward to doing is uh, to collaborating uh, with the people of District 42, as well as bringing people uh, into the process of teaching people uh, what it means to change policy. Um, and, and I see that as a uh, being able to bring in um, a pipeline of interns um, into the space and then also just being uh, more in the, into the community and figuring out what it is that folks want and need and teaching them how to help me get that done. I can't do this by myself. And um, it is going to take um, a lot of folks, um, all hands on deck is going to be needed uh, for us to move uh, the state forward. Sure, absolutely. Um, yeah, a nice shout out of, of uh, Eleanor Jordan. Um, I remember when she ran for Congress, which was back in like 2000, I guess, um, very close to winning, um, you know, that seat then. Um, you are also a candidate for the general election in the fall, in addition to the special election that's coming up here in a couple of weeks. Um, and, you know, it seems highly likely that you're going to win that election because you're the only candidate that's filed for the seat. So I'm interested, you know, we've talked to a lot of people with really highly contested elections, both in the primary and then if they win the primary, they got to win the general. So they've got a lot on their hands thinking about elections. And of course, it looks like you're going to be approaching this from maybe a different vantage point. So how does that impact, uh, you know, your preparation for serving in Frankfurt? Are you are you doing anything different than you think a lot of other people who are running for office are doing? Um, and, and what are you doing uh, to get ready to, to head up there uh, in just a few short weeks? Yeah, I mean, the biggest thing right now is getting people uh, t to know that there is a special election. A lot of people are confused with Representative Meeks are resigning and then also with the new maps. And so there's just been a lot of confusion of who is representing me and like, what does that mean? And so right now we've been doing a big push of just uh, general uh, get out to vote for the special election for February uh, 22nd. And then, um, you know, as far as what's going to happen after that, I honestly have not uh, been focused on uh, the primary and the general. It's been really uh, pushing forward on what can I do to make sure uh, that we get people out to vote for the 22nd. Um, February is a hard time to get people out to vote. The weather, um, you know, it, it's been a, a very quick turnaround. Um, but, you know, one of the things that I would like to do moving forward is just um, in, in the summer and the, the spring and the fall is, is just general get out to vote um, in general and, and just meeting people um, of the district. And so I do think that that is going to be um, a huge advantage for me. And I actually think it's going to be fun to be able to just be out in community and not necessarily having that pressure of uh, being um, a candidate and, and getting a chance to get out and meet people and also help other people uh, who are running um, across the state. Yeah, the turnaround has definitely been really fast, especially when you said you weren't expecting Representative Meeks to retire when he did. Um, so I wanted to talk to you a little bit about work you've done in the legislature in a different role. You know, you were a strong advocate for racial justice in Frankfurt in your role as a policy strategist for the ACLU. 
And several bills passed in the 2021 session that sponsors said um, were, you know, supposed to address racial injustice. So what did you think about the legislation that managed to pass in 2021, including um, like the Weston TIF and the more modest no-knock warrant restrictions that passed? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that um, regardless what legislation that we have uh, passed and, um, you know, that we passed in, in uh, 2021, there's a whole lot of more work to do. And I think that moving forward, uh, we have to make sure that we continue to talk about racial justice. I, I think that one thing, uh, you know, you called the um, uh, Senate Bill 4 is a modest bill. I think a lot of people really wanted the complete full ban of no-knock warrants. I myself wanted the complete full ban but knowing uh, where we are in the state and the climate, I think it was an, an excellent bill given uh, where we are. And I also want to lift up to people is that the work that we did, um, not only at the state level last year in 2021, but also in Louisville um, in, in 2020, that that was the groundwork for racial justice and, and, and police reform across the nation. Like we did that here. And so for me, um, it's it's just building upon that and knowing that uh, we have to continue to stay in communication and also knowing that um, oftentimes we are not going to get all the things that we want, but we have to stay engaged. Um, and, and this is a, a thing that it, 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 it's a marathon and it's not a sprint. And, um, you know, it, it's unlike like you, we hardly ever get uh, a piece of legislation filed um, that year and, and it get passed. And so, um, mm -hmm. you know, people need to know and understand that. But of course, we've got more work to do. I mean, we've seen a policy that has been uh, presented that I, I would say um, is the opposite of racial justice. And so, you know, one thing that I would like to see is that those legislators who were talking about racial justice in 2021 to step up and, and stand strong uh, to those words um, as we move forward. And so... I mean, ever since I've known you, you have always been able to forge good relationships with legislators in both parties during your time in Frankfurt. And I, I think a lot of people in Frankfurt really respect you. So tell us how you hope to maintain those relationships with Republicans while also, you know, speaking out forcefully for the people of the 42nd District. Yeah, that, that's going to be um, a very interesting situation. I, I think that, um, you know, the thing that I'm going to have to do um, as I move into this new role is to continue to be uh, open and transparent to the constituents of District 42 um, and then also to continue the relationships and move the same way I was moving before. Uh, the good thing about when I was working at ACLU, um, you know, we were advocating for uh, pieces of policy that were, you know, grounded in justice and racial justice. And um, in, in that vein, I was able to just stick to the issue area. Uh, and so if mm -hmm. there was an issue that a legislator um, uh, voted on or proposed that I didn't like, I didn't necessarily have to talk to them about that. I would talk to them specifically about uh, that issue that I was coming to them for. And I think that that's important. Um, you know, we all have different values and thought processes. Uh, they also have different constituents um, that they are working for. And so um, I think it's going to be my role in Lane uh, to, to continue to build those relationships. Um, and, 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 and that's the hard part. That's the work right there is, is building those relationships. And, and um, it takes time. And, and I think that I will uh, be able to continue to do it. And I look forward to it. Yeah, it's certainly hard work. And everybody that we've talked to that got a chance to do it, you know, they talk about how difficult that work is. But it sounds like you're, you're you know, you have a a good perspective on it. It seems like you're going to be willing to tell people the truth about <laughs> how this legislature works. Uh, some things aren't possible, which is sad, but the kind of where we're at. Uh, so once you make it to the legislature, you will be just the second LGBTQ person to serve as a legislator in Frankfurt and the first ever from Louisville. So first of all, tell us what that means to you and what it what you hope it means to other LGBTQ folks across the state. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it's very interesting and uh, very uh, humbling to to be able to uh, represent uh, so many people uh, when I go when I go to Frankfurt. And, you know, for me, uh, being a member of the LGBTQ community, uh, that's who I have always been. 
And um, I, I think that, um, you know, ha having that uh, dichotomy of, of, of uh, you know, who I am and bringing that to the space, you know, I, I think that it, it does make people um, have to listen to what I've got to say because it's like I'm LGBTQ. I live in Louisville, but I'm from Richmond, Kentucky. And so I'm someone who's directly impacted by the criminal legal system. And so I have all of these life experiences and I believe that um, my life experiences and who I am has prepared me for this moment and also makes me qualified for this moment. And I think that uh, for uh, the LGBTQ community, just for folks to see someone who identifies um, as them in this space, standing in the space boldly, being able to be successful and getting things done, um, it's an inspiration. And so um, I look forward to um, is, is just inspiring other people to get engaged and people to know and understand you can show up as yourself fully and wholly, um, and you should do that, that um, and, and still get work done um, and work together with other folks. Yeah, to me, it seems very meaningful that uh, if you're elected, you know, you will not just be the only LGBTQ person, but also one of just a very small number of black legislators in Frankfurt. Um, and, and, you know, uh, there, the confluence of those identities is, you know, it's it's an important constituency. It's an important and large group of people in the state that doesn't have anybody speaking for them in the legislature currently. Um, and, and I'm interested, you know, how your identity as a black queer woman, um, it shapes your approach to how you're going to be uh, a legislature and how it shapes what you're able to do, uh, what you hope to be able to do once you get to Frankfurt. Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing is uh, being able to speak to to experiences that, that folks, um, um, you know, are experiencing on a day to day basis. I think that that's probably the biggest thing. But, uh, you know, as I said before, um, all of my life experiences make me qualified. So all of those different identities that I bring, um, I think that that makes me a very unique individual. And I think it also makes people like, I think that a lot of the legislators um, who are in Frankfurt uh, have probably never uh, talked to someone who looks like me or identifies like me and is like, wait, hold up. Like this person is all of these things and they will sit down and talk to me and we can get some work done. And so I think it's it's also um, taken away some of those um, ideologies and, and myths about uh, who you can talk to and work with. And so, um, you know, it, it, this is to me, this is going to be exciting. You know, I, I have told people as well, uh, coming into a new space, anytime you uh, change positions or uh, do something new, you have uh, both uh, that excitement and that fear of what it's going to be. Uh, but I'm I'm very excited to uh, step into this role, and I look forward to uh, working uh, for the people of 42 and working uh, with our legislators that are already in Frankfurt. And we're really excited for you to be in Frankfurt as well. Uh, but before we let you go, we want to talk a little bit about the current legislative session. How do you feel about the Republicans' approach to the budget, and what other issues do you hope the legislature takes up this year? Yeah. And to be honest, I, I've got a, a great a team of people around me and I've been like, let me go to Frankfurt. Let me go to Frankfurt. And my team has been like, no, no, no. <laughs> you have to uh, focus on getting elected first. And so I think um, a gift and a curse uh, that I'm, I'm in the situation right now was that um, I haven't kept up uh, too, too much uh, with Frankfurt just to make sure that I'm focusing on uh, getting elected uh, first. But um you know, I, I think the biggest thing that we have to do on both sides, Democrats and Republicans, uh, we have to stop playing this party game. We have to stop playing uh, the, the party politics and we have to work together. And so um, I look forward to uh, coming into Frankfurt and, and, and really um, uh, stepping in uh, with that ideology and getting folks uh, to work together. Um, you know, one, one of the big things that I would like to see um, and, and I haven't uh, really shared this out. I guess it'll be the first time I'm really sharing it out publicly is I would like for us um, at the state level to create violence prevention. Um, and, and, and the reason why I say that there's four main issue areas, uh, child abuse. Well, I would like to see that uh, be part of it. Um, domestic violence, suicide and gun violence. I think that those four issues are major issues that are plaguing Commonwealth. That's just not a District 42 issue. That's a Commonwealth issue. And I see 
us creating an office, state level, putting it in legislation, it being in the governor's office, and that office um, utilizing federal dollars and resources to bring money into the state, um, and then also um, having uh, uh, the state to help divvy out that money throughout um, local jurisdictions and to really combat uh, some of these um, issues that we're seeing in our communities. When you look at those issues, they all impact one another. Uh, they intersect. And so I think that um, in order for us to really uh, get down to uh, some, of the, some of the larger issues that we have, we have to figure out how to take care of our people. Um, and I think that that is one thing uh, that I would like to see. Um, I'm not sure if I'm going to get there in enough time to get anything in the budget for that. Um, but that is uh, something that I hope to do. And uh, so um, if any of our elected officials are, are listening, please uh, contact me and let's see how we can go ahead and start working together on that. Awesome. Yeah, no, that, that that's a very meaningful issue. And I've heard people, everybody seems to to hone in on at least one of those uh, issue areas that you mentioned in terms of violence prevention. Um, and they're all four very important things. You mentioned that you're in the midst of a campaign. You're in the midst of two campaigns uh, with two different districts that you're running in. Um, and you mentioned, uh, you know, you've got a great team around you, but if anybody's interested in joining that team or if anybody's interested in helping you out, how can they do that? Yes, you can go to um, my website. It's Katura K E T U R A H the number four K Y.com. And on that link, you'll um, uh, uh, see ways that you can donate. You can also find ways to volunteer, come door knocking, uh, do some phone banking, some texting. All of the above um, is on there. And there's also um, a, a button on there to get you to call your um, legislator, actually leave a message with all of our elected officials and letting them know that we need to pass a voting rights bill uh, this year. That's another one of my policy issues. Um, you know, we, we just lost a uh, representative Owens this year as well. And that was one of the things that he did. And so I, I think that, um, especially black history month, as, as we talk about what we're going to do, I, I think that one thing that our legislative body can do, uh, this year, um, to, 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 to talk about racial justice and to, um, also, um, honor the work of representative Owens is to, uh, pass, a clean voting rights bill and put that on the ballot and let the people of Kentucky decide what they want. We can only hope. Uh, yeah. And, and you know, we can only hope, but you're going to get to Frankfurt and you're going to be able to do more <laughs> than just hope. So there you go. All right. Well, Katara Heron, thank you very much for joining us. We really, really appreciate it. Thank you all for having me. And I look forward uh, to continuing to, to listening to your all's podcast and the work that you all do. Thank you. Jasmine, how can people get a hold of us? You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at my old Pod. You can like our Facebook page and listen to our podcast on the podcast app of your choice. We also have a newsletter that comes out with our show notes in it. You can subscribe to it at tinyletter.com slash my old Kentucky newsletter. We also have a Patreon page where you can support what we're doing for as little as a dollar a month. You can do that at patreon.com slash my old Kentucky podcast. And last but not least, we are part of the Demcast Network. All right, everybody. Thank you for listening, and we will see you next week. <laughs>